0: Hey, everybody, this is Chuck Everson from Villanova University, and welcome to the Big East Rewind. The Big East Rewind came about when Sonny Sparrow and I from Syracuse University were on a recruiting trip and became friends. And we've been friends ever since. And we had a bond that is developed over playing in the very tough Big East Conference. The Big East Rewind is all about Big East basketball, old school style with the battles and stories that came about during our time playing in the Big East from the perspective of the media, coaches, former players, and even officials. So we hope you enjoy the Big East Rewind. All right.
1: Welcome to the Big East Rewind. Sonny Spira here. I'm co-host with my friend Chuck Everson. Today, we are going to talk to some broadcasters. We got legendary Sean McDonough, a fellow Orangeman himself, voice of the Boston Red Sox for years, Monday Night Football, ESPN, and still going till this day. And second with him is a great former Villanova Wildcat, Mark Plansky, who is now an ESPN analyst. We get to get a feel for what they see in the games they call and some of the memorable moments that they've had. Please enjoy.
0: Good afternoon, everybody. This is Chuck Everson, and welcome to the Big East Rewind. Uh, with my co-host today, Sonny Sparrow, number 23 in your program and number one in your heart, Syracuse heartthrob, Sonny Sparrow, the great Dr. Sparrow. Sonny, we've got a great show lined up today. We're going back to the media and we're going to talk to a couple of guys that have been calling games. Uh, One guy actually played and called games. So why don't you take take us away, give us our first introduction.
1: All right. My pleasure. A fellow Orangeman. I got him. I saw Sean a couple of years back and I we've stayed in touch and uh, it's good to reconnect. I remember, Sean, when we were on campus a few times, uh, we had some interactions. I never got down to the beautiful Newhouse School because I wasn't allowed. I was an arts and science student, and uh, so Sean was a 1984 graduate of Syracuse. Since that time, he's done everything you can imagine. If you've never heard of him, you live under a rock. I'm sorry. He has done the voice of the Boston Red Sox from 88 to 04. He's done CBS college basketball for years. He's ESPN. And I think that's who he's with now presently for basketball. He's done Monday Night Football. He's done Monday Night Baseball. He's worked with everybody. He called the sixth overtime game in the Garden, the syracuse Yukon, and won awards for that, if I'm not mistaken, right? And well, our,
2: our production did. Not me individually, the, the entire telecast. One
1: and he's humble as humble can be. Let's bring him <laughs> on. Sean McDonough, how are you, Sean? Hey,
2: Sean. All right, Sonny. Good to see you, Chuck. Yeah. Thanks for joining Mark Plansky, yep. who well, I'm sure will write his own introduction and probably well, send he, it to Chuck. You know, I was just about to say, he likes to be introduced.
0: We we have our, our our other guest today is a man that really needs no introduction. So, Sean, tell us about how I think he does.
2: Quite frankly, <laughs> I, I kind of think he does. <laughs> he,
0: <laughs> Mark is known as a triple threat in the business. He is the star of the big and the small screen. Does color commentary for ESPN was the star of the motion picture Celtic Pride with Damon Waynes. and he's a Villanova Basketball Hall of Famer, and my brother and good friend, Mark Plansky. How are you, Mark? Yeah.
2: Clap, clap, clap. And national champion.
0: National champion. That's right. Sean, thank
3: you for writing that intro.
2: Yeah, and played in the NBA, and, and by the way, is a very solid, what would your handicap be right now, Mark? About seven?
3: It's got to be two above yours. That's all I know.
2: No. No chance. You want Mark on your team. He's, he's a gamer on the golf course
3: as well. Oh, absolutely. Beautiful. I, I don't know how I ended up in this podcast with the great Sean McDonough, but wow. I, I am, I, Chuck, send me this tape. This is going to go down and, and I'm going to keep this one. This is right next to the 85 championship game. Right next go. to it. Close. Right next to it.
0: <laughs>
2: well, I'm a little upset because they told me it was going to be Ed Pinkney. So, um, <laughs> you know
0: (laughs) well you guys you guys have worked together a a number of times right way back in the day
2: not at espn although i'd like to think i tried i helped get mark in the door a couple years ago uh, when he came to espn made a couple phone calls told the bosses disregard everything you've heard about him he's actually a good guy and uh and talented and uh and you know if you watch him he's like he is in person too he's fun and funny and great storyteller Mm -hmm not afraid to speak his mind. And those are all things that are, I think important in our business.
3: And you know, I've got the face for radio too, Sonny. So what the heck, let's just put him on high def TV, right? And Sonny was
2: the heartthrob. Like that was basically what I remembered about Sonny. He he never saw the Newhouse School and none of us ever saw him with another male student on campus. Whenever he was walking (laughs) around, it was with uh, at least one of the lovelies on campus, if not several. He was replaced a few years later than that by Ronnie Cikley. Like you walk into a campus spot, and Ronnie would be in a booth in uh, Cosmos or something with uh, four of the. Most Ronnie Ronnie ruled
1: the roost, man. <laughs> <laughs>
0: he still does. I bet. So so let's get started. Sean, talk about uh, how you got started in the business. I know your dad, uh, Will, was was uh, legendary, legendary Boston Globe writer and and co- and commentator. And is that something that as a kid you wanted to kind of follow in dad's footsteps is that kind of what you wanted to do yeah exactly you know I grew up around it
2: he was best known for being a football writer and you know he was the pioneer who made the transition from tv from newspapers into tv he actually was on the old NFL today with uh Mm -hmm. Brent Musburger actually got a little uh, conversation about that this week when the great Irv Cross passed away who was another one of my dad's teammates on the old NFL today but uh yeah, when I was growing up, he covered all the sports. You know, the, the major league sports didn't really overlap as much as they do now. The seasons weren't as long. So even though he specialized in football, he covered the Red Sox and the Celtics and the Bruins. And we would go to Red Sox spring training uh, for a month down in Winter Haven, Florida. And I'm probably five or six years old. And uh, We'd get homeschooled in the morning. Then we'd go to the park in the afternoon. And the Red Sox radio announcers, Ned Martin and Ken Coleman, were nice enough to let me sit in the back of their booth because you can't bring your kids into the writer's press box. Everybody would bring their kids. So it was their booth the radio guys I sat there and watched them and I remember you know being probably seven years old having a little tape recorder calling games off the tv I I probably knew when I was seven that this is what I want to do and that was all from being around my dad
1: wow that's so cool now at Syracuse Sean what did did you get into at Syracuse because you were part of the WAER broadcast were you not
2: yeah a great student radio station there that's why I went to Syracuse as I said I knew at a very young age uh, what I wanted to do I wanted to be a play-by-play announcer so as you guys all know, you know, Syracuse had and has now an even greater reputation um, for producing top flight, play-by-play people or TV people in general, sports TV people. You know, mm-hmm. By the time I was going to college, Marv Albert was already a legend, Dick Stockton. Uh, Bob Costas is about 10 years ahead of me. He was well on his way at NBC doing a lot of big stuff. So That seemed like the place to go and it was, and it still is, you know, that's, it's kind of the fun part of when you go there that you hope someday, uh, your name is on the list, you know, and the kids of today are saying, you know, I went there because Mike Tirico went there, Dave Pash went there, Dave O'Brien, whoever it is, you know, you hope that maybe, uh, your name gets mentioned. One year in the football media guide, uh, they listed, you know, Syracuse is known for producing sports broadcasts. They listed about 10 people. And I wasn't one of them. Oh, well, that's fine. We, you know, I'm, I'm probably not one of, the, one of the top 10 anyway, but I grabbed Sue Edson, the sports animation director, and I'm like, Marty Glickman's dead. He doesn't care if he's in the book. You know, like, <laughs> uh, So, you know, sometimes you're on the list and sometimes you're not, but uh, it's going to Syracuse one of the best things that ever happened to me. You know, academically, the experience you get in the student radio station. And, uh, and just as you know, Sonny, it's a fun place to go to school.
1: Yeah, and you were you were there as the Big East was the Big East, right? It's just starting out. So 1980. It was crazy. You know,
2: it was I was talking to Beheim about this the other night when we had the Syracuse North Carolina game. And we were talking about the old days of the Big East. And you know, you expected that there was gonna be a fight, you know, every night. And and that the coaches might try to go after each other, which happened several times, I'm sure in games you guys played in. And and you know, the the league meetings were legendary, you know, with all those legendary coaches and big names and big egos and personalities so there there's some great stories about what they talked about meetings what they said to each other so uh yeah that was that was the heyday and for us you know it was the Syracuse uh, Georgetown rivalry more than anything else but um i miss the old big east you know when the espn did that 30 for 30 about the history of the big east you know i I found it was, you know, it's the old Jim Valbondo thing. I laughed, I cried, I got mad. I, you know, it's, it's you know, it's just, it was the best basketball conference in America when they blew it up. And uh, it's a shame.
1: Yeah. So we're going to get back to some of those legendary stories. Let's get, let's get Mark's take. Mark, how about yourself when you went to Villanova? Was what was the Big East mean? What did that mean to you?
3: Uh, first of all, Sonny, when I worked with Sean, Right, he, he taught me two very important things in broadcasting. First one was speak when spoken to. So thank you for addressing me because when you work with Sean, you got to speak when spoken to. And <laughs> I was privileged to work with Sean. So are you saying Sean talks a lot? No, I didn't say hey, that. I just proved that my last I couple of what answers you said, for like,
2: like you an hour. That's you why did. I like podcasts. You can just keep going, and who cares, right? So.
3: But uh, no, well well before uh, well before I got into broadcasting, Chuck told me the same thing when I was a first. Freshman, first day on campus, Sean, you know, as a freshman recruit, hey, rule number one, speak when spoken to. So I, I, I came from Boston as well. I, I grew up just north of, of town. Sean grew up just south of town. And uh, both my parents were BC grads. And my dad actually uh, was a pretty big booster for Boston College and was one of the first guys to direct, uh, you know, some funding into the basketball program back when Tom Davis was the coach. Mm-hmm. And um, good doctor, yep. Yeah. And then so Gary Williams took over um, mm-hmm. and, and I started getting recruited and you had guys, coaches like Coach K and Coach Fisher from Michigan and Coach Mass and uh, Bobby Cremins came in with a great Bronx accent and Georgia Tech and came into my living room and everyone thought I was going to BC because my dad you know, had had worked on an actual um, assisting deal to help BC be the eighth team in the Big East. Sonny, so here I was supposed to go to BC and uh, end up going to Villanova. My dad came down and watched it early, uh, like in the November, and said, uh, "Geez, you guys are pretty good. You made a good decision." And uh, obviously, at April 1st, he uh, he was right. So Chuck wears BC colors tonight, right? Just for this? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sort of time, yeah. I mean, but you talk about the Big East, you know, I played 84 to 88, you know, I'm a lot younger than Sean and you know, the, my freshman year, the two players of the year in the conference were the two players of the year in the country with Chris and Patrick and guy was so much fun going to the dome those four years and playing against those great teams, Pearl, no more fun than playing against Pearl Washington. Mm. Uh, That guy hated, right? Chuck hated. Yeah. Villanova. He, he wanted to come to Villanova, decided to go to Syracuse in the fall. And, he wanted and, to come to,
2: I've heard you say that. Wanted, how, how do we know this?
3: He Well, if Coach Massimino was alive today, he would tell you that, Co- Pearl said, Coach, I want to go to Villanova, but I got to let you down. I'm going to go play for Coach Beheim." And he just wanted to prove, Sean, every time he well, played. He probably think,
2: told all the coaches that he, I think he didn't go to, that he really wanted to go there. You know, that, he, that's like when you break up with the girl, you know, it's not about you. It's about me. You know, I, it's, it's,
3: I think the it's, exact line was I want to get an education first. So he went to Syracuse.
2: Right. In, in the Major. Newhouse School of Communications, which exactly. is still never seen, but it is on campus. It's there. I've seen it. I, I never, never saw the inside. library. They told us we have one, but I, 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 I never made it
0: there. I've only passed around it. Yep. Mark, talk about, talk about playing in the dome. Now that you mentioned it, talk about how difficult that was with that, that big orange backdrop and trying to find that orange rim in a sea of orange uh, shirts. You know, actually, uh, I think a lot
3: of guys will tell you this. Uh, Son, you probably agree. The dome was a great shooting environment. I actually shot pretty well at the dome um, versus a lot of smaller you know, arenas. The, the problem was, you know, once the momentum went against you as the away team, oh. you were done. Uh, you know, you, you'd work all game long to compete and keep the game close and then you'd 90 seconds later, you'd be down eight points and the game was over because 25, 35,000 fans just had the place rocking. And, you know, look, you're 18 to 22-year-old kid and you get nervous and you start making mistakes out there with the talent that Syracuse had in the 80s. You couldn't, every possession was vital. And if you made a mistake, you, you were down 10. And at the carrier dome, that was game over.
1: You guys played such a patient game. I mean, you, really, Massimino was kind of a mastermind of that, right? Mm-hmm. Control tempo, control the pace you know, et cetera. And you're right. I think Syracuse was more of a, of, you know, of an up and down, of up, up and down team. Derek Coleman, Ronnie Cycli, Sherman Douglas, Pearl. I mean, they just were, you know, they were track stars, right? So if they got a couple of things, it turned around quick. You're right.
3: Well, my senior year was the year after that Cuse lost in the end in the finals. So mm-hmm. that whole team came back. Not only were they incredibly talented, but they were obviously very experienced for, you know, not an overly, old team veteran team. I think uh, Derek was a sophomore. I mean, Ronnie yep. Herman were both seniors, but that team had a lot of talent. And uh, I, I think in the Big East, uh, Sean, you weren't doing the games in 88, right? You, you didn't start to the 90s, right? In the Big East?
2: Yeah, that was just before I started doing some Big East TV.
3: So I, I think- the, was
2: already in his 40th year. Of yeah, Raph,
3: a, Raph, Raph was doing the game for sure. And uh, we were in the in the championship game and- uh, no, you know what it was? It was actually the CBS team. It was Brent and um and Billy, Billy.
0: Packer. Yeah, Billy Packer.
3: And we we got, I think the status was something like 25 to nothing in fast break points at Syracuse versus Villanova. And all they would do is they, they would just rebound, tap it out, and then off to the races. Yeah, you, know, you just couldn't stop them once they got going.
1: Well, we didn't have a lot of success at the Pilester in my four years, I can tell you that. And I've shared that before. So just as much as you didn't like the dome, I didn't like the palestra.
2: That wasn't, you weren't there, Sonny. You didn't overlap with Danny Shays, right? He was No, he was I was right young. after Danny. That was yeah. the classroom. He grabbed that, Danny one of the, and well, Eddie. One of my foremost memories of when I was a student there was Villanova Syracuse and the Palestra, and I think Danny fouled out. And Dolph Shays, the legendary dad, came out of the stance, like wanted to go after the officials. One of the things Bayhunt was talking about the other day, we're talking about Old Big East, they would go to those coaches' meetings, and every single one of the coaches would talk about how they were getting screwed by the refs. Yeah. And Bayheim says, "Well, we can't all be getting screwed by the refs when we're playing each other, you know." So I mean, <laughs> but they wanted to fire every you know, every official in the league. You know, this guy stinks, he stinks. When in fact they had a lot of the best officials in the country, you know. But it was what we were talking about earlier. There was always just a rock fight. You we were waiting for it to 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 break out before the fight to commence or come was, close to commencing.
3: That was back when the Plesser had that great tradition of throwing the streamers too. I, I remember playing Syracuse Chuck, it was probably my freshman year, 85, maybe January of 85. And, um, you know, I backed up uh, a couple of pretty talented guys that at over, Dwayne McLean and Harold Presley at the forward spot. And for whatever reason, Dwayne McClain, you know, might've been a minute late for pregame Sonny. So on the board was Mark Plansky starting against uh, Wendell Alexis. You know, I'm a freshman, so I can't even breathe when they announce, you know, I got caught in mouth, I get out there and some dumb reason I make the corner jump shot first bucket of the game and the stream has come down. Coach Massimino takes me out. He goes, okay, that's enough. You can't do any better than that. Puts in Dwayne. So he played 38 minutes and 38 seconds. And Chuck, if I'm not mistaken, he was the MVP of the national game that, and we beat a top 10 Syracuse team at at the Pelouster
1: yeah but your efficiency marked that game right 25 seconds two points
3: (laughs) his efficiency level
1: was very high that's right much like like
3: 85 championship game same Mm -hmm. thing
1: (laughs) i went i went against north carolina with one second ago in the first half i caught a pass from my teammate and i hit a three-quarter court shot i should have just stopped i should have run off like pearl like my career was over (laughs) that
2: was the loudest when we were talking about pearl that's the loudest I ever heard the dome and maybe the loudest I've ever heard any basketball, man. You know, they, when they, when
1: oh, Boston college they game. beat
2: Boston college, oh. and he threw it in from half court and
3: just kept great running
2: story. And I don't know if it's true, but I think it's true. Cause heard it so many times. You know, if you watch it, they, they BC I think missed a free throw. It's a free, that's
1: throw, free throw Sean rebound,
2: like outlet it to him. He dribbles up to half court and lets it go. And as the balls in the air, he starts running toward the tunnel to his right where Syracuse comes out yeah. because he said I knew it was coming, it was going in and I knew they were going to storm the court and I wanted to be in the tunnel and get off the court, you know, before the fans ran on the court. So uh, that was I think it was Al Albert did the TV for that and his colleague just he just kind of said ooh <laughs> that's like yeah, that's about the that's about the size of it that was a perfect call for that moment because that that was incredible
1: sean as you got going in the big east right you developed some really solid broadcast teams right one of which is with jay and with coach raff uh talk about how that whole thing came about and then because you guys just have just great chemistry you know i mean they're just a pleasure to listen to
2: well i appreciate that guys um i would say this if you can't have great chemistry with raf you can't have great chemistry with anybody because as we all know he's the you know the nicest guy on the planet and everybody loves him and i remember the late great jim o'connell was writing an article about him and he asked to be could ask me a couple questions about raf i think it was Raf's like 30th biggies tournament or something and i said well if you don't like bill raftery there's something wrong with you i mean he's, he's just he doesn't have a mean bad bone in his body he treats everybody great so you know, we did it for several years, and that was a blast. And then Jay Billis joined us as a sideline reporter on a couple of those big Mondays, and um, and then they decided to you know try and kind of at the table with us, and it just clicked instantly. You know, um, and the two of them played off the three of us all played off each other. You know, we enjoyed busting each other's stones. Um, try to be the first one to deliver a pretty good haymaker because you knew the other two were going to come back at you at some point. So, you know, it was like doing a game every Monday night uh, with two of your best pals because that's what who they are. They still are. You know, I still talk to Rath a lot even though he's, he's not at ESPN anymore. And uh, Buster, late, <laughs> late in the evening when he calls you from some fun place to tell you something that couldn't wait till the next morning. But uh, so... I remember one night I got a call and it was a, a coach who uh, shall remain nameless uh but he is the coach of the Villa of the Wildcats and <laughs> I looked at the phone and I said said Jay at this hour of the night I thought it was going to be Raph he's like who do you think I'm with <laughs> it's like, yeah. yeah, you never know when Raph's going to call but we had a blast you know it was it was so much fun and uh you know, people say it's like three buddies sitting at the bar watching the game, and that, that's kind of the way we felt.
3: Uh, you're being very humble. That was must see TV, Sonny. Like Big Monday, which. Big, Big Monday. Jay. Yeah. You literally just, you know, it was before you can get everything on, on your phone, on a tablet. You, you had to be in front of that TV because it was such a banter. The game was always great, but the entertainment came from the three of them and, and the back and forth and the repartee. And you know they always kidded that you know the you know the big loser, the short straw guy, would buy dinner. But you know I'm pretty sure Sean well, was on- Ralph
2: never bought dinner. Believe me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> thankfully Billis does all the time. Billis is one of the most generous guys I've, I've ever met, which he should be. He has more money than God. But uh, <laughs> the uh, but we and ralph was the one who could run up the tab, as we know. But
0: we had a blast. I appreciate you saying you know it's another Jay
2: Wright Villanova reference, but. We were at one, we were doing a Villanova game and I don't know if it was the shoot around the morning of the game. I think it was maybe practice the day before the game, but Jake pulled me aside. He's like, can I talk to you for a second? And I'm thinking, you know, usually when they pull you aside, it's because they didn't like something you said or whatever. But uh, he said, I got to tell you something. He said, we're um, watching tape with my staff, you know, preparing for this game. You know, usually when we watch the, the tape. We, we if we have the TV copy, we don't listen to the announcers. We just watch the game and we talk. He said, so the other day we're watching a game that UJ and Bill did, and one of my assistants said, "Hey, coach, can we listen to the audio?" <laughs> like I, I like watching these three guys, and uh, and it was really a compliment to Jay and Bill because you know you learn something by what they say, and you know, it wasn't just Comedy Hour. If you really pay attention, you know Raph for all of his slogans and everything he works as hard preparing for a game as anybody I've ever seen. You know, he comes with this piece of scrap paper, it looks like, but he's got every play they run, uh, diagrammed, and he must do it at four in the morning, but uh, <laughs> he, he does it. So, you know, it was it was great basketball talk, too, in addition to the fun.
0: So now that you mentioned that, Sean, the preparation, talk about what goes into the prep for a game. I, I've been around Mark a long time, and I've seen him um, when he's doing his uh, ESPN stuff. Uh, you know, I've been in the gym with him, I know he works real hard and he gets in there and starts talking with the coaches and the kids and stuff like that, and, and game film but what's what's involved with if you have a game say on a, on a Friday night, how long does it take you to prepare for that game and what exactly do you do.
2: Um, you, know, you try to watch tapes of previous games they played. you know in this day and age it's kind of easy like I do the ACC every Monday now so you know, they're between ACC Network, ESPN, you know, you can watch a lot of games with, with these teams. So, uh, and usually like, I think the other night we had Syracuse in North Carolina was the third time we had Syracuse already. So you feel like you have a pretty good grasp, but you know, you're watching, you're reading. It's so much easier to pair now than it was when I first started when there was no internet and all that stuff. I mean, I could Google anybody's name on any one of these teams and, uh, and you know, find articles and that sort of thing. Um, you know, usually, as I said, we go to the shoot around in the morning of the game or the practice the day before or both. Now with COVID, we don't do that. It's, it's been harder to prepare this year, but we do do Zooms with the coaches if they're willing to do that, which most of them are. So, uh, you know, it's and trying to talk to some of the players if you can. Some schools make players available. Some don't. So that's kind of hit or miss, but the, the preparation, Chuck, is the most important part of it by far. I just spoke to a broadcasting class at Arizona State this morning on a Zoom. And, you know, 95% of my time is spent in the preparation. You know, the game might be 5% of what you, what you do. Um, but that's the most important part. You could show up and wing it. Guys do. You know, you can kind of tell, I think. Yeah. They never tell you anything that you didn't really already know or couldn't figure out just by watching the game yourself. But – uh, you know, I think we owe it to our company and we owe it to the viewer more than anything else to try yeah. to be as informed as we can.
0: How is it different between doing the Red Sox, say, and doing Monday Night Football when you're as far as preparation goes?
2: Uh, the, you know, the Red Sox is kind of easy because you're around it every day. You know, all the people and, you know, you, you know you're know you preparing just by being there almost every day. Um, Monday Night Football, you know, it was it was almost the easiest prep I've ever had. We had a researcher by the name of Jim Carr. Fact, when I got the job, I replaced Mike Tarico, and he left and went to NBC. And Mike is a dear friend. We overlapped a little bit at Syracuse and um, he's one of my closest friends. So he called me and uh, <laughs> about, I'm sorry for the tangent, but when I got the job in uh, the spring. So it was the previous summer we were doing the Open Championship, the British Open at St. Andrews. We're out to dinner one night, and he said, hey, my deal's coming up, and I don't know if I'm going to stay at ESPN. I'm like, what? You're, you're Mr. ESPN. You're doing Monday Night Football. You're hosting the golf. You're doing basketball. He said, well, you know, I got a couple other opportunities, and you know, he didn't want to be too specific, but he hinted that it was NBC and someday might host the Olympics or do Sunday Night Football with, and So I was like, hmm, he said, and I think if I leave, they're gonna give you money Night football. I said, well, then you need to leave. I mean, whatever it takes. (laughs) And uh, so, uh, you know, I I got the call one day from John Wildhack, who's now the AD at Circus, but it was our boss at ESPN. And, you know, Mike was, I knew Mike was wavering and uh, about what to do. And John Wildhack called me, I answered my phone, I'm I'm really thankful. I did something wrong, right, it's your boss. And he said, hey, I just had a call from Mike Tirico, and I'm immediately thinking, I, I think I might like the way this is going to go. <laughs> he said it was a hard decision, but he's leaving me we to off you money football. But Mike, when he called me to congratulate him, he said, they have this guy, Jim Carr, a researcher. He said, I, I could do nothing else uh, but to prepare for the game except read the notes that Jim Carr, I would literally get a, a 50 or 60 page document every week about the two teams, the storylines, biographical stories. It was like he did all the prep for you, knew what was important, condensed it all down to one document. And it was such a time saver. It was unbelievable. So one of the things I miss about uh, Monday Football, that was a great resource to have. And he was brilliant at it. Well, He came from a news background, so he knew what was important and what wasn't.
0: Do you get your team together like for a Monday night game? Do you get your team together and have meetings during the week? about? Yeah, football, we have a ton
2: of meetings. It's different, um, right? Monday night football, different. you know, Gruden wanted to have, you know, the old football coach, he wanted to have meetings to talk about where you're going to have the next meeting. You know, it was the, the old joke, but it was really true. Um, with Raftery and Billis, you know, uh, it was kind of at lunch on game day. You know, we might talk for a few minutes about what we think is going to happen in the game. As Mark can tell you, you know, a lot of it is spent just talking about what you're going to talk about in the opening on camera, um, You know, who you're going to profile or whatever. So, And that was usually when someone had to deliver the hammer. I mean, I remember one day we were doing a Notre Dame game, and uh, Raph was talking about Chris Thomas, the, the guard. And he said, and Jay, he makes his teammates better. Wouldn't it be nice to work with someone like that? Yeah, you know, so... <laughs> Not a great graph notation, but
0: it's the best I've got. <laughs> How about you, Mark? How when you're when you're prepping for a game, like I've seen you, I've seen you going and, uh, and talk to coaches. Now that you're you're on the other side, where Sean's doing the play-by-play, you're doing the color, and you have to add in the anecdotes, which you do pretty well. I mean, it's a, it's you know, and I'm you know, I realize uh, we're buddies and all, but I mean, it is a you know very nice listening to you. Uh, call a game, and it's it's really I love the way it flows, and I love the interactions and stuff, and the stuff that you do at halftime, depending on who your co-host is, um, you know, is has been great too. So, how does that stuff all work out for you? How do you get involved with all of that kind of extras? When, when you call
3: Sonny, him. you realize that really crushed him to have to give me those. Of <laughs> I
0: know
3: he was, he was stammering on a Isn't few things. Sweating. <laughs> He's sweating right now. He's he like, saw his hey, whole <laughs>
0: cadence change. Yeah. Listen, it, now. Hey, Mark, listen, you know, we get on the phone, Sonny, Mark and I, which, which happens probably a couple of times a week. And we do nothing but rib each other and laugh the entire time. So this is very difficult probably for both of us to keep a straight face during this whole thing. So. I think you should revert to ripping each other. Let's go. That's
3: uh... that's the easiest. That's coming, Sean. That's coming. But <laughs> the uh, the beauty of it, so, you know, Sean's being very humble. He is as professional as it comes as, as, as a broadcaster, as a play-by-play guy. And when I worked with Sean, I had no idea how good he was because I was the dumb guy that was the former player that Sean welcomed into his team for the game. So two hours later first Time I played, I uh, did a broadcast with Sean. I mentioned he, he told me two things. The second thing he told me, which was most important, is when I say something, you have to keep asking yourself why. So, if Sean McDonough says, which I actually heard you say uh, Monday night with, uh, with the, the Syracuse game, that Chuck Everson got a great position, you know, down low, you can't give Chuck Everson that type of position because he's so big, it's game over. So, that's just a great. Uh, observation by Sean. My job is not to say, you're right, Sean. Look, he's got four points. My job is to say, well, Sean, he started to get that position at the foul line, you know, on the pick and roll. And the moment the pick and roll comes off, Chuck knew that if he got to that dotted line, he could turn pivot and he's so big, they'd have to find the ball. And once he finds the ball, Sean, he has great footwork. He was able to get the foul, draw draw the foul and have a three-point play opportunity. That is what, my job is all about during the game. I actually feed off of Sean and all the play-by-play guys and the best play-by-play guys. And I think we're looking at one here and I think Sean will agree. Dan Schulman in college basketball is excellent as well because, you know, for a Canadian, he knows the game very well. And he leads Jay Billis off and right down the road, Sonny. And he knows what Jay's thinking. And when Sean and I worked after a number of games, he knows what I'm thinking. Raf and Sean are on the same page. Mm -hmm. You know, so my job is really just to to react and analyze during the game, and for me, Chuck, it's like you and I watching uh, Jay Wright's team tonight. You know, after this podcast, right? And and just being live, it's just like I don't understand why not they're not playing zone. I don't understand why they're not extending pressure. I don't understand why they're not you know shutting this guy down. And and that's just observations that you just have to talk clearly to a layperson about. And it's easier when the play-by-play guy helps you, and you can go back and forth. The rest of the job, like Sean said, is. You know, my prep is not, Sean has to know the guy, his name, his pronunciation, where he went to high school, who he played for, the AAU team. My job is to know, talk to the coaches, not necessarily the head coach, because the head coach is trying to prep for a game, but the assistant coaches that want to be head coaches, right, Sonny? And they'll give you as much intel as they can. (laughs) I, I walk around and I gobble up all of it, you know, and then I disperse it all out for two hours. And it sounds like I know what I'm talking about. And you fit those stories in from either the shoot around or just. Conversations you had an hour before the game, Um, and it's really up to Sean to carry the show. Thank God, which is why I've been in and out of you know broadcasting. Right,
0: that's so true. I
2: mean, the analyst has you know the access to the coaches, the analyst. It's important for all of us, but you know we're going to play more zone than we usually would tonight, Mark, because blah blah blah. You know, so the game starts and now they start playing more zone. If they hadn't played any zone all year, he knows why, and then he can explain why he thinks you know yeah, that is a good idea, or they should stick to what they're good at. But, um, the, the, the you know, a lot of it is the X and O part of it from, from the analysts. So and Mark to... does it really well, because, you know, a lot of guys do what I call play-by-play of the replay, where they say, oh, that was a really nice shot. are like, yeah, I, we all saw it. You know, that's really not telling me anything that we didn't already know. But uh, the good ones, like Mark, tell you something that you didn't know, or they tell you why something just happened, as he explained
3: yeah, the, well, the best ones, you know, guys, are, are, you know, you mentioned Big Monday, when there's no hesitation between Sean, Jay, and Raf back in the day, you know, that's when you know everyone is on the same page. I've got a little side story. When I was started to work in the 90s doing this, you know, I, I was privileged to work with Sean, with Mike Gorman, with Kenny Albert, and I did a game at the Rack on campus of Rutgers with the great yeah. Don Creeky. So oh. I grew up watching, you know, Don do all the NFL games, the Patriots games as a Boston kid. And you know, I am like, you know, okay, it comes across in your emailed you, you're doing the game, Rutgers and Yukon, and you're working with Don Creaky. So I'm like a little nervous. So, you know, at the rack, the, the opening was on the court, but as Sean knows, you have to go up 25 steps, 25, you know, stands to get to the middle of the, of the uh, stance. This is where you televise the game. So we're walking up, and as we're walking up, he's like, "Okay, great job in the open. Now I'm going to take it when we come come back on air, and you'll know when to talk." So I'm like, "Okay, great, that makes sense." I've worked with Sean, I've worked with Mike Gorman, Kenny Albert. I know when to talk. Mm -hmm. So I'm just waiting. I'm just waiting, and he's done with his what he needs to say. And Sean, he reached over and grabbed my knee underneath underneath the table, (laughs) off camera, and I just went, "I was like, that's." That's not when you, no, whoa, okay, all right. Was so that, that the cue to talk or to stop yeah, talking? That exactly, that was the cue to jump. That yeah. was that was, uh, that was Don saying, I'm working with a rookie. I'm going to make sure he doesn't mess up this broadcast. That's what that was, but boy, was that fun. He, he, he was a joy to work with. A little too much Notre Dame, as you know, Sean, but other than that.
2: Nice man, too. Great man. The, uh, all those years with Bob Trumpy on the NFL. They're, they're an excellent team.
1: Sean, you got to talk, we got to go back to the comment you made before about some of the uh, the, uh, the conflicts and the coaching uh, interactions that you were privy to. If you don't mind, share a few stories or a few uh, interactions that you were... Uh... Oh,
2: one of the funniest things, like when I got to Syracuse, Ralph was still the coach at Seton Hall. I think for right. one year, I think my freshman year, I remember the Big East tournament that year was in the Dome. And, you know, we're all in the uh, stands and we're watching Seton Hall play whatever they're playing. And we're all like, who is that crazy man? You know, in the in the ugly sport coat, you know, he had these plaid jackets. When oh, yeah. he coached <laughs> I mean, he was wild on the sideline and, and particularly on the officials. And um, so, you know, that's kind of my, my first exposure to wrath to was uh, as a coach. But he and Roly back in that day hated each other. I mean, like a couple times in the, you know, those small gyms, you know, uh, what was it? Walsh Gym? You know, yeah. You know, like they were in the same hallway and apparently a couple of times they tried to go after each other and I mean, they hated each other. And then later in life, they became the, the best of friends, as you guys know, you know, uh, they lived right near each other yep. um, down in Florida, in South Florida. When Roly was coaching at, uh, I can't remember the real name of it because Rath used to call oh, Northwood. When they changed Northwood. the name of the school, but he went to Northwood. And uh, Raph used to call it Deadwood and, uh, but you know Raf would go to the games and Raf said there'd be 10 people at this game and it was me, the guys in the neighborhood Chuck Daly, Bobby Orr and like Billy Cunningham, <laughs> watching roll these teams. He and he
3: was- left uh, Chuck Everson, Sean.
2: <laughs> and, yeah. Did you go to the, the Northwood games?
0: We we went we went down as a team. Mark's Mark's uh, having a little fun with us, but we we went down once a year uh, as a group, right up until uh, the day he passed, and then continued the tradition uh, for Mrs. Mass. So we would yeah. go down. I and- was so glad
2: he made it to the uh, the championship game when they won that. Uh,
0: yeah, it was great. Ago,
2: it was but uh, matter of fact, Jay told us a funny story. You know, as you guys know, Jay was his assistant for a, a long time, and he told us. Um, Jay, Jay told us he got a call from Roley one night, like at six o'clock at night, six thirty at night, and he said, "Hey," and that Roley was now at Northwood, and he said, wait, when we played whoever it was, so and so, and they ran that UCLA high low, you know, how did we defend that?" Because I remember we did a really good job. So Jay said he starts explaining, to him, "Well, Coach, we did this, we did that, we did this," and, and uh, Roley says, "Hey, Jay, can you you speed it up a little bit?" And, and Jay says, "Why, well, Coach? In a hurry?" He said, "Yeah, we're playing them in a half hour." <laughs> you know, where you,
0: it's, a, <laughs> it's about right. Yeah, but uh,
2: I tell you, you know,
3: what, I tell you what, Sean. You talk about uh, Jay was a longtime assistant coach, and my senior year was Jay's first year. And uh, he's the best.
2: He's, he is as good a man as there is in coaching in any sport. You know, when they won uh, the first national championship, you know, on the, the shot at the buzzer there, I, I think the, the first of his. I believe it was the first of his. Yeah. Um, I, the So I was doing the ESPN. ESPN has the international uh, broadcast, right? So CBS has the U.S., but ESPN has like 200 other countries. We're we're very big in countries you've never heard of, from what I'm told. With the the Final Four, so anyway, they win. We we're done, uh, and they're up there on the court. You know those raised courts at the yep. Final Four. They're cutting down the nets, and Jay standing there with Patty, and um, I, I walked over to him. I said. I am so happy for you. I said, I couldn't be happier if this happened to me. I know if, and, and he grabbed me by the shoulders and he said, you know what's so awesome about that? I know you mean it. And I'm like, yeah, I do mean it, man. You're the best. You are a great guy in addition to being a great coach. So, uh, you know, that was one of our, during our lunches or dinners with Raph and, and, um, and Billis, we kind of list our top five guys of uh, among the coaches who are our favorites to you know, just be around, hang around with, have a beer with or a meal with. And Jay was always in the top five.
3: Well, you started least. with the two best looking, Jim Beheim and Jay Wright, right? So those were the, the obvious choices. Beheim has
2: gotten better looking over the years. Like if you see the picture <laughs> of, like when he played with the horn rim glasses and, you know, the, and uh, I think Julie helped him a lot, uh, stylistically, certainly. Um,
0: they Among the, mellow a little Olympics.
2: not a lot but uh, but a little you know, he's still feisty but
3: well I think you know this story uh, Sean Sonny my first game back so Sean was correct earlier um, in this podcast Sean is the reason I came back to ESPN five six years ago I was uh, took 10 years off to have a family and do some other work and and I left that job and uh, Sean and I were playing golf up in Rochester New York if I recall but the Great Oak Hill yeah club. Yeah, and he's coaches like, versus cancer Coaches versus cancer or as
2: coach crimmins who uh, i think sunny mentioned earlier you maybe you mentioned earlier you mentioned him earlier uh he yeah. used to call it coaches for cancer and when he get up and speak and billis who would moderate the thing most of the time would say coach we're, we're not for cancer we're against cancer. It's coaches versus cancer, <laughs> not coaches for cancer true, is true, this light sorry. bothering you Absolutely. we're sunset here in scottsdale arizona if i could figure out how to do the remote control blinds here i closed the freaking thing but uh
3: you talk, Mark, and I'll try to figure out the. There's always a light following you, Sean. Why should it's, I, it's kind of angelic?
2: I think almost, <laughs> but it's Which, it's starting to annoy me a little bit, and I'm sure it's probably annoying you and the four other people who are going to watch this. So,
3: so you you shut the shades, and uh, so I, right. I get back up. My problem I
2: don't know how, but uh, but <laughs> I'll figure it out.
3: My first game back, I uh, I'm doing Villanova and um, and Wake Forest down at Charleston tournament, ESPN Charleston tournament. So that's uh, Danny Manning. So Danny Manning is my year, 1988 player of the year, pretty decent uh, college career as the player of the year. And then of course, uh, played great in the NBA till he got hurt first year back and coach Wright. So I forget the play-by-play guy I was doing it with, but he says, and there is the GQ of college basketball, Jay Wright. Mark, you played one year with Jay, You know what was it like? And that was my first time back, Sean, in 10 years. And without even hesitating, I go, Oh, it was tough. I mean, I was a senior. He was four years older than me. You know, he was a, he was an assistant coach, and without question, he got more girls than I did my senior year on campus. And then the guy just looks at me like Sean's looking at you, like you can't say that. So no. I, immediately, I immediately followed up with, and "Well, you can asked, say it once." Uh, well, I immediately followed you can up. Say Sean. anything on
2: TV once—that's that's, <laughs> right. a really rule I learn.
3: I actually did it for many more games. I said, "Yeah, but Patty, his wife, is a doll, and I was at their wedding, and they were at my wedding, and." Everything's over. I didn't even think I said anything. And as Sean knows, like, uh-oh, you crossed the line. So I immediately get to Coach Wright after the game and say, hey, I just got to give it a heads up. And in the locker room, I was like, hey, a great game. But uh, I said this. And he looks right at me, Sean, and he goes, come on, seriously? My man. Now go tell Patty. <laughs> go tell Patty.
2: We talked about Jay and Roley. So one of our traditions, when the three of us were doing uh, the Big Mondays together, when we do a game at Philly, a Villanova game in Philly, uh most of them the games we did because they were a little bit bigger than were on, in the uh, 76ers arena downtown i used to like when you call it the fu center uh which i don't think it's called the first union center anymore. No. <laughs> uh, but we go to davios as you know uh davios is f- boston based and founded by a great guy steve D. filippo and it's expanded around the country including in philly it was right near the hotel where we used to stay so we would meet jay and usually you know like if danny gabbett was there from the big east or something we'd have six people ten people our producer so we'd meet at dubious so i go in before the game and uh, i see jay in their locker room i say by the way we're all set up for dobby's you know when you get done when your meeting stuff just come there usually we get there at 9:30 or 10 at night the game's not over tonight he said i don't think i can do that he said rollie's here and i told him we'd go i said well bring him you know the will be here and so i had told the the maitre d' guy, you know, we'll probably have 10 people, maybe 12. We had 63 people. Roly told like every person he saw at the game that night that we're going, and they have like two waiters. <laughs> so, Cause it's most of the restaurants almost closed, you know? So, and they were all apologetic. I say, hey, it's not your fault. You know, just do, do the best you can. But uh, it turned out to be a, a nice Monday night, the uh, bottom line for Davios. Cause uh, there was a little bit of wine as part of that uh, get together.
0: It usually is when those guys get together that's yeah sure. so talk about sean talk about the big east uh tournament a little bit and uh and some of the games that you called there some of the memorable games well you know it, that big was
2: the best right with the old garden you guys got to play in it and uh the you know it's just you know especially the saturday night final you know walking in there saturday night on broadway and um you know nothing will compare to that and there are a lot of great games. You know, though the Sonny mentioned the one that stands out uh, to me the most was that six overtime game between Syracuse right. and Connecticut. You know, I had so many text messages um, and phone calls at 1.26 in the morning, whatever it was, from people who said, you know, I don't even care about either one of these teams, but I couldn't shut it off. You know, it was just such a great game. Bob Costas called me the next day. This is a Good name drop, huh? Just throw in Bob Costas. Good segue. Good. He was good. Was a smooth name drop. So, The, he was in Hawaii and he he was on his honeymoon and he said they were, they're watching the game as they're getting ready to go to this restaurant.
1: He's a hopeless romantic.
2: Yeah. So he's, you know, they're getting dressed. I mean, but the restaurant they were going to was known for its sunsets. Like that's why you go there. So the game goes to overtime. He says to his wife, Hey, call the restaurant, see if they can push it back 15 minutes. I, I need to see the end of this game. Uh, So it goes another time, call the restaurant, see if they can move it back in their 50 minutes. So about the third time he does it, it's sunset. You're gonna miss the sunset. We'll go tomorrow now. I have to to watch the end of this game. So there are a lot of stories like that. To me, the most remarkable thing about it, and you could talk, we could do a whole podcast just about that was in the first five overtimes, Syracuse was never ahead, not by one point, not for one second, they were either behind or tied in for every second of the first five overtimes. I mean, that's 25 minutes of game action, never ahead. So to play, you know, in under that kind of pressure and to get it to the sixth overtime, then obviously they won. Um we'll never see that again in any basketball game.
0: How, how was that how did you hold up uh towards the end of that game I well, was played? worried about
2: Rath because you know at his age he's a Flow Max commercial, let's face it. So you know <laughs> it's uh <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and then he, uh, <laughs> no, you, you know, you're just, you just, you wrote, I don't know what, what overtime it was, second or third, you know, we, we all knew we are watching something really special, you know, because it wasn't just that it was close, it was guys making plays and yeah. guys fouling out. And I remember Syracuse lost a few guys and they put, I think his name was Justin Thomas, um, barely played. And he comes in and they put him in the middle of the two, three zone in the back line. And he comes in you know, in the fifth overtime. He's doing jumping jacks. And the other guys are looking at him like, listen, <laughs> you know, <laughs> we can barely stand up. But, you know, Hashim the beats diving on the floor in the fourth overtime and uh, whatever it was. You know, it's just clutch plays, um, well-played game, beautifully officiated game. I mean, um, you know, they, they did a fantastic job from start to finish. And, you know, I, I remember uh, – Ralph and, and uh, Billis and I, Jay, and I stood up and clapped when the game was over, which I don't think any of us have ever done, you know, saluting both teams. You know, it was just such a magnificent performance. And uh, and I was really proud of our group because I, I did. You mentioned that the, the telecast won an award and it, it deserved it. You know, it's one of those nights where you get dropped into one of the games of your life and Everybody was at their best, you know, the camera people, the tape guys, the producers, the directors, the audio people. Remember, you guys might remember, it almost didn't go to overtime. Eric Dievendorf hit a shot at the buzzer of regulation, and they counted it.
1: He and jumped on the he, table. He jumped
2: up on the scores table, mm-hmm. and that's it. They're going to win at the buzzer in regulation. And then they looked at the monitor, and Peter Dingle was our handheld camera at center court. I, I don't know if you remember the shot, but there was this unbelievable shot where he was, you know, because he was sitting on the court, and was right in front of him, you could see that the ball was barely still on Eric's fingertips, and you could see the clock go to zero on the top of the basket. And uh, so if we didn't have such great camera work, um, it wouldn't have gone six So None of that would have happened. So it was a great- this
0: would have seen his sunset at that point too, right? Yeah, yeah. Bob would have made his dinner. His wife
2: wouldn't have been mad. But <laughs> I, I don't know. I had- I had probably a couple hundred text messages when that game was over from people who, sure.
0: uh, you know, just couldn't shut it off. How about you, Mark? What are some good Big East tournament memories for you?
3: My senior year, we We got to the finals. I mentioned earlier and lost to a great Syracuse team on Saturday night. But uh, uh, actually, I think uh, no. That actually in '88. Sean, I think we played on We did. We played on Sunday. Because remember, we played Sunday afternoon on national TV, on CBS. And then they had selection show Sunday right after it. So it oh. was Friday night quarters. We played St. John's the fourth game of the quarterfinals at the Garden. And, you know, that, that was just amazing. Friday night, all of Wall Street, you know, drinking 20-ounce beers for 24 hours. And then they show up, and they're rooting for St. John's. And we won a nail-biter. And then we played Pittsburgh uh, on Saturday evening that was the saturday night game and they were the winners of the conference and we beat them in an upset when they had a great great team with jerome lane and charles smith and demetrius gore and mm-hmm. you know sean miller of course mm-hmm. and then we were up against syracuse but as i mentioned earlier you know once once the you know the governor cap came off and you know they went 10 nothing run it was over but here here's a crazy thing chuck if uh, if we managed to win that game and win the big east there was an outside chance that i might have been named the big east tournament mvp sean can you imagine going back that would have been the single best trivia answer no one would ever get my mom wouldn't get it
2: no come who, on now i mean Who's people the might not have been the first guess, but don't you said i was being humble earlier and neither one of us do that very well but uh you know you were a heck of a player you don't play in the nba without being a heck of a player, and. Yeah, that's, you know, the, 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 the Big East at the Garden was the best. You know, the, I remember the first year where, the, you know, the, it broke up in Syracuse and the rest of them left. Uh, Billis and I were in Greensboro, and um, we're walking out of the hotel where we about five or six teams were staying. We were going over to the gym for watch of practice. And uh, as we're walking out of the front door of the hotel, here comes Mike Bray. And he has a coffee cup in his hand. And he says, well, fellas, we're not in Manhattan anymore. And he turns the coffee cup like this, and it was the Waffle House, which, of course, is everywhere in the South, right? So it was uh, a little different being in Greensboro than being at Madison Square Garden. But uh, one of my favorite Big East memories of when I was in the Dome. And uh, Leo Routens was one of my best friends in college, and still a great friend. And uh, we had a lot of classes together. And, uh, you know, he, it was against Villanova, where he tipped in. I think that was the third, overtime. third overtime. three
1: overtimes yeah
2: right and uh and i was sitting up in the in the upper deck and uh you know it's really cool when you're you know in college and that's your buddy down there and does something like that so um that was awesome and it was the parallel to the six overtime game because andy routens hit a huge shot i think it was also in the third overtime to kind of keep like he had a big three to keep it going so you know it was the symmetry of that was amazing to to me anyway how about, how about You're who was, Chuck. I don't blame him, but you know,
1: who, who, who was your toughest interview?
2: Oh, in the big East. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, John Thompson, the elder was, wasn't always the easiest, you know, you had to be very careful about how you phrased the question. Cause if you didn't like it, he'd throw it back in your face pretty hard. Um, his son was, was easier, a lot easier, actually. Um, you know uh most of them are great like the the old days like we talked about it. you know, you can walk into the villanova locker room 15 minutes before the game which raf would do many times and you know hey jay bird who are we going after you know um so back in those days most of the coaches were like that you know when, when we were doing it, it was kind of post thompson karnasek uh, masamino but it was you know the it was jay wright and uh bray mike bray is another one of the all-time great guys and uh you know, so they – it wasn't uh, wasn't confrontational of anything else. It, you know, if anything, we were probably too easy on a lot of the coaches because they're such a good bunch of guys. So um, – but John Thompson was intimidating, uh, to say the least.
1: How about you, Mark? When you were playing, what was the toughest place you had to play?
3: Um, toughest place we had to play was probably – you know, I, I'm not going to say it was Cuse because we just uh, – never did very well up there, but I actually, like I said, I actually uh, enjoyed playing there and I enjoyed that environment. We just didn't succeed because you guys had great, great teams. You know, I, I think for us uh, playing on campus at St. John's and now Louis Condorseca Arena, the former alumni hall, well, they, they had a lot of great teams, too, obviously. But after Chris left in 85, you know, they had good teams. They didn't have great talent like Syracuse did. We just couldn't win there. That, 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 that gym was just tough to play at. It's right in Chuck's backyard. So he's been there, his daughter, graduate student there. And I'd I you that alumni hall game was you walk in and you, you just started cringing. And even if you played a great game, you were never really comfortable. And it was just a tough place to win.
0: Yeah, it was a tough spot. That was a real tough spot. All right. Well, guys, I think that's as good a place as any to call it a day. Thank you so much, Sean and Mark, for being with us today and uh, giving us some insight to what it's like uh, during the Big East during that time and, and uh, the rest of your career, Sean. I uh, appreciate your time. Thank you for coming out. Uh, this has been the Big East Rewind with Sonny Sparrow and myself, Chuck Everson. The Big East Rewind was produced by Nick Chorus and Daryl Gurney. And you could reach us for any comments, concerns, or suggestions at BigEastRewind at gmail.com. Thanks a lot and have a great night. Thanks, Sean. Thanks, Mark.
1: Appreciate it. You See
0: you guys. A lot of fun.
1: Great, appreciate. Well, a great
0: memory. We really
2: could do five or six hours on that kind of stuff. You know, one one memory triggers another, and, uh, and then
0: you just go. Yeah. Yeah. Let's keep great going. Great to see it. you
2: guys. Stay healthy, and uh, i
0: see
3: you all again soon.
0: You too, well. thanks, buddy. See, see you, ya. Yeah. Bye.
3: Thanks, son.
1: Yeah. I'll see you, Mark.